2: W-A-B-E in Atlanta. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. A new campaign from the New York Times is highlighting some of their remarkable readers, and one Atlantan is among them. Jordan Rich is a Lakeside High School graduate turned international jazz trumpeter. He now plays in the funk soul band Chandra and the Passengers. Later this hour, we'll hear why Jordan's story is one of those featured in the Times campaign. First... The Atlanta-centric media company and culture channel ATL is providing a vibrant platform for capturing the spirit of the city. Its executive director, Brandon Butler, defines culture as people like us do things like this. Last August... The rapper Ludacris released a single that he titled Butter ATL, showing his support for the organization. He described it as a love letter to the city. Brandon Butler joins me now via Zoom, along with Butter ATL Editor-in-Chief Mike Jordan. Welcome to City Lights.
3: Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Brandon, when you began Butter ATL in 2018, I saw an interview where you spoke about the slow death of print media and the need to envision new kinds of media outlets. How does Butter ATL suit the way people really consume news and culture today?
3: Absolutely. You know, I've worked in the media space for a long time and have worked at, you know, different media companies and brands. And so I've seen it from both sides. I've actually, you know, worked with the AJC and stuff in the past. You know, for me, I kind of think about where we are in today's day and age, right? And the reality is most people, especially in this kind of 25 to 40-year-old demographic that we serve, don't necessarily get their news and information from traditional media. Um, They primarily get it from social media and they get it in bite-sized, you know, snackable nuggets. And so for us, we wanted to kind of find a way to meet people where they were at. Again, I actually grew up reading the newspaper. You know, my father subscribed to it and I actually subscribed to the newspaper as well. And while I appreciate, you know, print journalism and and know it still has a space for younger audiences that are a lot more mobile, that are in, in the kind of, as we say, in the day and age after Social and mobile, or at scale, the idea was just: what if we created content that met them where they at for the platforms that they, that they consume content on? And so the idea specifically was at that moment: let's create a media company that really leverages social media and Instagram specifically to help get news and information out. Had we launched it today, maybe we'd be more focused on TikTok. You know, had we launched it ten years ago, maybe we'd be more of a, a print publication. But I think for us. We've uh, always kind of tried to be platform agnostic and really just try to understand where the audience was at and do things to to meet them right there.
2: Mike, you've contributed to media all over the world. You co-founded Thrillist and you write for Atlanta Magazine, but also The Guardian and The Wall Street Journal. How did you become involved with Butter ATL?
0: Well, Brandon reached out. He gave me a call. I was at the time serving as the editor-in-chief at Hypopotamus, covering tech and innovation in Atlanta and the Southeast. And we talked about just sort of what his vision for taking Butter into a newsletter in a a much broader media sort of direction. And I was already a fan of what he was doing at Butter. I was actually, prior to Hypopotamus working at V103, as their digital program director. And I was trying to get them to do more things like Butter was doing, just how tapped in it is to Atlanta specific culture. So all he had to do was just kind of like call me and say, I wanted you, I didn't call anybody else. Let me know if you're interested. I said, yes, it was a very easy decision and I've loved it ever since. It's a really fun job and It's a place where, again, it's innovative for media. And I love Atlanta so much that being able to talk in the voice that we speak in to the community that we love and that loves us back is just a really extraordinary, special thing.
2: So it's an ideal partnership. But that love for Atlanta just comes through resoundingly from both of you, from everything, really, that Butter does. Mike, much of your writing has been in the area of food. Atlanta, of course, is a food mecca. Writing about the food scene in Butter ATL, as it's so appropriately named, do you feel like you take a different approach or maybe a more familiar approach, less formal than you might say for Atlanta magazine?
0: Yes, certainly. Food is a place where, as we were talking last time I was here on City Lights, there's so many stories that can be told through food as a platform and as a storytelling device that we consume anyway. But Butter's audience is, as sophisticated as our audience is, we also know that our audience likes, they, they like messaging and communication that meets them where they are. So Where we know they are is in just plain old loving the city without an an extraordinarily high level definition of what's on the menu at a place. And we're also looking for those innovative ideas and kind of scrappy startups. So we wrote about a place called Fuse Pies, which the gentleman was taking orders off social media and had bought himself an at home oven set up for a pizza oven that got up to high degrees And had a whole payment platform to where you pay him, you show up in his apartments, he gives you your pizza, and it's completely random and wild, but very good pizza. And that's one of those things where I don't see Fused Pies hitting Atlanta Magazine's Best New Restaurants list. But for Butter ATL, that's the kind of thing that the storytelling comes through and shines in a only in Atlanta sort of way. So certainly we we definitely want to highlight a lot of the veganism and vegetarianism and all the great ethnic restaurants we have all over the city, but we wanna do it in a way where everyone is invited to the table and without excluding anyone for lack of class, race, age, anything that could be sort of a demographic challenge at certain places that really tap into who their audiences are. Butter just says, as long as you love Atlanta, you can come and sit and have some lemon pepper wings with us.
2: Very inclusive. Brandon, I've enjoyed reading about your personal story. You've moved through some interesting chapters. You studied physics in college, Brainiac? (laughs) I did. (laughs) Yeah, and then IT, you worked in radio for several years, and then you ran a brick-and-mortar website design store in North Lake Mall. Would you tell us how your history led to butter, and does butter come from Butler?
3: (laughs) Well, I get asked that often, and again, as much as I would you know, love to take the credit for it. I, I did not name Butter after, after myself. It does not come from Butler. It's just a strange coincidence in how the universe, you know, makes things work out. But I'll, I'll take it. It was really just a name that we, you know, kind of came up with as we were brainstorming. You know, we wanted to think of something that just kind of quintessentially spoke of Atlanta. And I don't remember all the rest of the names, but I do remember when we, when we kind of threw the name Butter out there. Uh, it was something about it that made sense, you know, whether it was the idea that butter makes everything better. You know, when you're churning butter, the cream rises to the top, yeah. even the color, you know, I mean, butter has always been kind of founded in this idea of creativity. So even just the color scheme really kind of stood out. And so that was kind of the the vision behind it. You know, as far as my journey, I always say, you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. I think that hmm. I definitely started off with the desire to get deep into technology I was studying physics and engineering, then pivoted into technology and did that. But I'd always kind of had a love actually for radio. You know, at one point, I really wanted to be the next Ryan Cameron. Um, he was somebody I really looked up to growing up in the city, interned for him. But he was back at, you know, 97.5 back in the day. And, you know, that was really where I wanted to go. And so what ended up happening was, you know, I ended up being able to use my technology background to kind of get my foot in the door in the radio space And I learned kind of quickly that while radio was good, one, I had never really heard myself recorded before. And that was a little bit of a shock, (laughs) you know, to hear how I sounded on tape. So I said, "Uh, maybe this radio thing isn't for me. But what I really learned was my skill set and my background in technology were really unique in that space at the time. A lot of these radio stations around the time that I got involved were trying to pivot to more online streaming and, and trying to pivot to doing more things around content. And, you know, Facebook had just launched, and so social media was a thing. And so my technology background really allowed me to kind of get into some new and interesting spaces and really provide a lot of value in a lot of different areas. And so I think, yeah, as I kind of look backwards over my career, I think I definitely would not have been able to do some of the things we've done at Butter had I not had all the different experiences I had, whether it was, again, working in, you know, a corporate IT tech center that taught me how to build websites and, You know, I stood up the butter website and all of our kind of technology infrastructure, all the way down to some of the ways that we, you know, create content, as we say, content and speed of culture comes from working in other agencies and at radio stations where we had to turn things around the same day. And so the the advice I always kind of give people is early in your career, try to be shallow and wide, try to kind of get as many different experiences as possible. And then when you find the things that you really enjoy doing, that you really have a talent and a skill for doing, those are the things you wanna kind of go narrow and deep on. And so for me, I've um, just always tried to kind of follow my passions and Butter is kind of the, the culmination of just so many great experiences on top of just growing up here in Atlanta. I think that was another one of the big parts that just made it so special is, we always say Atlanta doesn't get to tell its own stories and you know, somebody like me that grew up in and around the city and has just seen this place evolve, even before the Olympics, and kind of been here pretty much my whole life. I was just really excited to kind of start to find ways to showcase that from a content standpoint. So yeah, it's been a really interesting journey.
2: Brandon, listening to you speak about Shallow and Wide and where you've gone, that could be a great commencement speech. Have you been asked to speak at any graduations?
3: Funny enough, I actually I actually have had a couple of people reach out and, you know, I'm, I'm going to dig into that. If, if I do get the opportunity, I will make sure to, to incorporate that in there because everybody thinks their career is going to kind of go one way. And for me, I've just really tried to kind of collect experiences along the way. And again, it's been challenging at times, but, you know, as I look back on it, there's just, you've learned so many different things. And I think that's something that I really would push people that want to come up in whatever space to just, again, try to collect as many experiences as possible before, you know, other elements of life start getting involved so that you really find those things that you have a real talent and the passion for. And then when you find it, double down, go all in.
2: Hmm. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights speaking with Butter ATL founder Brandon Butler and the Culture Channel's editor-in-chief, Mike Jordan. This is for both of you. Butter ATL's news department is called The Churn. What's special about The Churn in terms of new media outlets and representing your particular audience?
0: Well, what's special about it is we know that there had been a shift to the newsletter format. We were seeing, you know, the sub-stacks of the world and Of course, Mailchimp is based right here in Atlanta. you know, obviously it just got purchased by Intuit, but that's an Atlanta-born and bred unicorn company that's done extraordinarily well. So we knew that that was a medium by which people were deciding that's how they wanted to consume information. The key is that there's so much going on in Atlanta. There's just every single thing from it being a cultural mecca that has a 33% Black population, has... Film and TV tax credits that hit a record what 1.2 billion, I believe. Airbnb just opened this new tech hub here. Microsoft is expanding in Atlanta, all over the West Side. We've got our first Jewish senator and our first Black U.S. senators, uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. All these HBCUs, all this tech, World Series champs, hip hop—it goes on and on and on. But without a local voice, you can kind of get that caught up through a lot of national media and having written for national and international media, I know that many people get the story of Atlanta wrong in a way that they don't mean to miss the details, but Atlanta is a city you have to put your feet on the ground, taste, smell, see, and feel to understand. And so that was where we saw the opportunity to make a newsroom that followed sort of a basic premise that if you love Atlanta, you're one of our people. And there's no place that we can't go. There's no place we won't go. We don't live in any sort of bubble in Atlanta. The whole thing two eighty-five in and out. I would say we might stop at Suwanee. That that might be a little too deep for us, but uh we know we, we're very much in tune to what the audience expects from us, and we keep that channel open of engagement through the social media channel so that we can always know where we're landing and and how folks are receiving and how they're appreciating our stories. And that gives us outlets to speak to people like Mayor Andre Dickens, who just spoke to us a couple of weeks ago, as well as Almeretta the Great, the young female rapper who blew the world up with her Not Atlanta song, Sorry, Not Sorry. You can get those two different sides of the room, but it's a respected cultural voice and boombox for the entire city and everyone in and out of Atlanta that loves
2: Atlanta. I watched both of those conversations and loved them. I got to say, Omoretta was quite something. And Mike, your East Point pride, you know, it came through clear. It was great.
0: East Point was the only city that wasn't named in the song also. I was very proud of that. I'm in East Point, and East Point did not get a hashtag not Atlanta. So I'm I'm proud of my little suburb inside the perimeter. I'm still ITP, everybody.
2: Well, and hey, we can't explain whoever did the urban planning or the lack of planning decades and decades ago that makes everybody's postal address say Atlanta, even if you don't live inside of the city limits. So everybody can take pride, but her song is hilarious. And I got to say, the conversation with Mayor Dickens really spoke to an issue close to the heart for many of us, which is authenticity. Authenticity the city changes so much so quickly. What do you consider Atlanta authenticity and how can we maintain it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think authenticity is something that is super important to, as we always say, the culture of Atlanta. I'm all for Armoretta and not Atlanta. I think it's a catchy song. But, you know, as long as you love Atlanta, you don't necessarily have have been born at Grady or Georgia Baptist to you know, have love for the city. If anything, authenticity is just being, you know, honest with yourself about what you love about the city and what you want to contribute to it. And I think it, it just means a lot of different things. Everybody wants to kind of put different people in different boxes to kind of help figure out, you know, where they stand and where they kind of go with things. But, you know, again, the reality is authentic is is really kind of a one-on-one connection, right? Like, how are you making those one-on-one connections to the the, the voice of the city, the stories, the, the the people love, you know, the people that are kind of Move in Atlanta. You know, we always say with butter, it's about highlighting the kind of the modern people and places and things that are shaping modern day Atlanta because we want to give people an opportunity to be seen, to feel seen, to be heard, and to be represented. As Mike kind of spoke to, we always like to kind of look in between the lines a little bit. So yeah, you're not gonna necessarily see the hottest restaurant in Atlanta that has a 10-month waiting list to get in featured, but there are like so many stories like Pew Pies and just so many people that we can kind of find that are falling between the cracks in traditional media. I think when you, the sum total of all those stories is what authenticity is. And that's kind of Butter's love letter to Atlanta is saying, it's not just the big names, celebrities and, and rappers that you think you heard of because some national publication covered Atlanta, but we're highlighting people that are really hit boots on the ground, impacting the city on a day-to-day basis. And I think even just the um, intentionality in which we find people to to highlight, find places to highlight shows, just that authenticity for Atlanta. We feature local businesses, you know, we're doing, you know, business guides for different events, and again, it's just, again, the sum total of all of those different connections and experiences, I think, give a a really good picture of what's authentic Atlanta, because on the flip side, there's just a lot of stuff out there that's, that's negative, and that's not the entire story for the city. I mean, every city has challenges, and and I don't think we're, we're definitely not avoiding those things. We definitely approach it head on. But if all you're showing is car windows being broken into, that's not authentically Atlanta. There's so many amazing, wonderful things that are happening here. So many, you know, amazing companies are moving large portions of their business, if not their headquarters, and relocating here. That's happening for a reason. Um, and I think, again, like all of those, those stories kind of told together to start to paint a much more authentic picture of Atlanta than just one micro piece of content.
2: Indeed. On that authenticity note, and this is just the tiniest pet peeve of mine because I wasn't born and raised here, but I've lived here two-thirds of my life and I'm very proud to be an Atlantan. Does it bother you when people from the North say y'all? It seems like everybody has, you know, adopted co-opted, whatever. Y'all.
3: That's hilarious.
2: <laughs> I think that's cultural appropriation, don't you?
3: I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I have seen people saying it. What's actually funny though is when I actually have friends that are in the North, I've actually been on the, it's funny, I've been on the phone with them before and I remember one call, I was talking to just one guy on the phone and I kept saying y'all. And he stopped me and he said, it's just me on the phone. Like, who else are you talking to? And I said, I'm talking to y'all. All of y'all, like everybody <laughs> who can hear me. So, as we as we always say, though, culture is Atlanta's number one export. And I think when you see people using terms like y'all and different things like that, shouty, and talking about lemon pepper wings, you just see Atlanta's impact on on culture at scale, and just how much people really love the city, even if they even if they don't want to even want to fully admit it. <laughs> I really just don't call it hot Atlanta.
2: Butter ATL founder and executive director Brandon Butler, and Mike Jordan, Butter ATL's editor-in-chief. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights. It's great to have you along. Let's return to my conversation with Brandon Butler and Mike Jordan of Butter ATL. Here, Butler explains how community activism plays a part in their online projects.
0: I think when you're dealing with news and information, the story presents itself in many ways. And the story of recent history in Atlanta is, of course, as we saw in the elections, the political map is changing colors. So within that truth, there are people who are making those things happen. And those people are driven by a cause that they see as greater than themselves. And I've always been someone who looks at everything from as much of a balanced perspective for the audience as possible. I am a trained journalist, and I do hashtag hardcore journalism, and I also do hashtag content. And I look at things and say, everything that I'm into and everything that I feel is not always the most relevant to someone who I would love to sit down and have a conversation with. But a lot of these people would never actually get together if you don't give them some type of common ground of just basic, good, true and honest information. With what we talk about in terms of the political sphere and activism and what has happened over the last few years in Atlanta from the election of Governor Kemp to the rematch that's coming this year between Purdue, Kemp and also Stacey Abrams, is that there are a lot of feelings wrapped up in this. And I would love for people, even in the activist community, to sit down and say, let's not miss the issues here. What do these people stand for? And that's not an easy thing to do, especially when your audience loves culture. You have to find ways to make things, I guess, edible and not just you know, digestible. Because, you know, digestion is a kind of difficult thing. You're putting it through all these processes. First, we just need you to sit down and eat. And as you hear, I make a lot of food references. I'm eating all the time. (laughs) But it really is more about our audience will let us know when something is important. We'd like to cover those things. But butter is not, I would say, politically leaning one necessary way or the other. But we do fall on the side of morality. So when something is going on and we see that and the whole city can see that, then we're not going to shy away or cover our heads in the sand when we know that something is going on and when the information is there to back up what we're reporting. But at the same time, Atlanta is a dynamic place and the politics are part of the new story and the long story. And we're going to continue to stay in that conversation because our audience sort of demands it of us.
3: And there's definitely moments, I mean... You know, the presidential election was a, was a big moment, even as Mike just spoke to, like one of the moments that even coming off of uh, all the, you know, the racial unrest and the justice movement that happened, one of the things that we did really quickly was spin up resources to help provide, as I kind of call it, like a record of truth and information to help people be, become active, but do it in a safe way. We actually created a the Now Atlanta text hotline, which is something we literally just launched in the middle of all that and said, you know what? If you're going to go vote, here are resources for voting guides. Here are places that you can go vote. If you're going to go join in some of the protests that are going on in the marches, here's a list of safer protests and marches that you can go get involved in. We've always been very big on any time an election is coming up, driving people to vote early is always a big thing, especially with our audience and saying, you know, don't wait until the last moment. So it's always looking for those moments to provide value, to remind people, there are bigger things that we should all be focused on and and to mike's point to also help make sure that people understand the facts understand where these different candidates are coming from and and to kind of give them just you know the information that they need or to put it in front of them so they can kind of make the best informed decision to mike's point I'm we don't lean one way or the other i think we do focus on morality and the right thing and i'm all about here's all the information you know you make your best choice i just ask that people do get engaged and stay active. And so we've launched a number of resources over the years that have helped empower people, and we plan to continue to do that every time the opportunity presents itself.
2: Very important. Mike, there's a very contemporary, or maybe I should say immediate type of realism to some of the churns' features. You recently did a piece on Delta THC presenting a straightforward beginner's guide to the psychoactive and legal cousin to cannabis. Your interview was conducted with all the participants under its influence. I'm curious to know how that went, and also why is the cannabis issue so important? To Atlanta?
0: Well, I think some of the Delta 8 is still wearing out of my system right now. So (laughs) we'll have to see. We did all make sure that everyone got enough in the system. We timed that out to kind of make sure that we could see where the conversation went. But it was very fun. And it was something that, to me, and we talked about this, of course, before we went ahead and did the idea and made it happen. But this is a conversation where. There's a larger, of course, national and international conversation around the legalization of cannabis. And there is a social justice. There's an economic justice. There's all of this conversation. And a lot of times, because not everyone may know who Commissioner Gary Black is, but Georgia is an agricultural state. And it's a sort of, as we know from voting recently, it it has some progressive leanings, especially Atlanta for the state of Georgia. So we've seen decriminalization here. We've seen that the culture of colleges, the culture of hip hop, the culture of all types of creativity. There's been cannabis consumption for medical and adult use recreation for a very, very, very long time. And I think we're at a place where not only are you seeing a nuanced thought process of how we can responsibly make this something that has been normalized if we do all of the safeguarding and all of the things that need to be in place before this is just released. But when you see something like a Delta 8 THC, it's part of that conversation to say, wait, how does this work? This is unregulated. It's not legal in states that already have a legal infrastructure for medical and adult use cannabis. Why is that? what actually does this feel like? Should I feel dangerous? And I was thinking to myself, it would sure be useful for someone who may be hesitant walking into a place to purchase something with a receipt and be completely free of all legal troubles from our understanding. But they may have not really someone explained that to them in a way that is easy to understand and you get to see what happens live on the video which we shot. I don't know if you noticed at the end though, I kind of had a complete laughing fit meltdown and that, <laughs> that was a completely legitimate thing. I could not <laughs> stop laughing. It was hilarious and it was fun, but that's participatory journalism. And the service was before you go out and think of what this place may be or what this thing may be and is it legal or not, let's just give you the best information we have because this is something that I see as an expanding conversation.
2: In the spirit of Hunter Thompson. My
0: favorite author, my favorite author. Really? I have a big uh, painting of him that I bought from acapella books of big Hunter Thompson. Oh, wow.
2: When I met my husband, I remember him talking about why he loved that Hunter Thompson was able to find something to talk about with Richard Nixon because they both loved baseball. Anyway, I digress. In 2021, you undertook a collaboration with the Crystal restaurant brand to create a hip hop music, art, and history experience inside the Northside Drive Crystal location called Crystal by Butter. What did visitors experience in the specially made over restaurant?
3: That whole approach, that whole collaboration was, again, all about creating just a celebration of Atlanta. At the time, Crystal had recently moved their headquarters to Atlanta, relocated from Tennessee, and were interested in ways to kind of authentically connect with the culture. Through some relationships, we started having those conversations and ultimately kind of settled on what if we built our own landmark, you know, thinking about the big chicken or just like other elements of Atlanta that are just places that you want to stop by when you come out here. We said, what if we actually created one ourselves? And so it was all about, again, how can we really create something that's authentic to the city and just steep it in so many of the things that Butter talks about, as we always say, there's a love letter element, that is authentic Atlanta culture. You know, music is a big part of it, obviously, especially, you know, hip hop, rap music. But there's also history. You know, there's also the colleges, whether it's the HBCUs and the AUC or Georgia Tech and Georgia State or Coca-Cola, just really finding ways to kind of rekindle that passion in partnering with Crystal and that collaboration. And so... We worked with all local artists. We hired a, a, a Black female-led production company to help build us out, to help build out the space with us. And really just wanted, again, to, even from the teams and people that we worked with, want to be super intentional about every square inch of that location. So, you know, we really just want to get people in there, rekindle their passion, let them know that Crystal was here and they're authentically connecting with folks, you know, in collaboration with Butter. And the reception for it was amazing. A lot of people had kind of passed by that restaurant before. They hadn't necessarily seen or, or stopped by there anytime soon, but it gave people a reason to stop by. Andre Dickens, the night he became mayor, his first meal, he literally pulled up to the Crystal and ordered through the drive-thru. I remember he sent me a text message and said, hey, man, this is my first meal as mayor. Oh. And so, you you know, when moments like that happen, you know you've done something special. We just hope that, you know, those kind of things continue to be People remember Butter for us, again, just doing things that um, have kind of become a fabric of Atlanta culture. I
2: think Julia Child said, everything is better with Butter.
3: I like it. We always try to say that as well, you know. We think that everything does go better with Butter.
2: Butter ATL founder and executive director Brandon Butler and Mike Jordan, Butter ATL's editor-in-chief. More information about Butter ATL is on our website, wabe.org. Coming up from Lakeside High School to New York Times featured jazz musician, the story of Jordan Rich is next. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE, I'm Lois Reitzes, thank you for being here. A new campaign from the New York Times highlights some of their more remarkable readers. Jordan Rich is a jazz trumpeter who graduated from Lakeside High School here in Atlanta. He now plays in the funk soul band Chanda and the Passengers. Jordan's story is among those highlighted in the Times campaign. He joins me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights.
1: Thank you, Lois. I feel welcome.
2: Good. Now, you grew up in Decatur, and your story carries you all the way to Montreal, where you perform with Shonda and the Passengers. Can you give us a glimpse of how you began in a drumline, went on to become a jazz trumpeter at Lakeside High School, and pursued this life in music
1: oh yes with pleasure my musical journey it really began before high school growing up you know being in atlanta going to church every sunday being a part of various choirs and things like that and you know later on you know as i grew up i got into middle school and joined the symphonic band, the jazz band. And at that time, in the early 90s, at Stevenson uh, Middle School, what they did is they would train the young kids in middle school with the marching bands. And Stevenson is known, uh, at least at that time, as one of the best marching bands in the city. So That was such a pleasure to get out there at at middle school level and learn with the the big boys and girls, you know, and that led me and I knew then I wanted to join marching band. And then from there, when I I ended up moving and I ended up going to Lakeside High School, I walked on to the marching band under the leadership of Kevin Jones, who, who went to Clark. He was a Clark alumni. And one thing about marching bands is when you're going to a high school, if your band teacher went to Clark, Atlanta, mm-hmm. you knew you were going to have a good band. Ah. So people would work hard to get into those bands. And, and so from there, it was musical school. And fast forward today, I'm with Chandon, the Passengers, and we're recording and performing and things like that. Oh, yeah.
2: great stuff. Jordan, I read your grandmother played an important part In your process of learning to love music, what music did she share with you growing up that influenced your style?
1: Yes. Grandma Thelma, she played gospel music and she would always, every time she was around, she would just hum and, you know, singing psalms. And, you know, she lived in Tampa at the time, Tampa, Florida. And every summer we would visit down there and In her house, right next to the window, she had a Yamaha keyboard with a green music book that had all these notes, these foreign notes that I didn't know what it was, but I knew it had something to do with music. And from there, you know, I would just go and play and just play and play and play, you know, and pretend like I'm reading the music to play. And, you know, in hindsight, I guess she saw how much I really took to that. And lo and behold, one day in the mail, a very familiar keyboard and book showed up, you know, you know, in a box, in a box, just for me, you know, as a little kid, you think, okay, a box is coming from me. What what is this? (laughs) And it was that keyboard. And I immediately set it up, had it up and and, and running. And I was just wailing, going to town. I probably drove my parents crazy. And to this day, I have the same setup. I, I always have to have a my keyboard, near a window, or a digital piano. And that's what I play. It's not my main instrument. I'm not a pianist. I'm a trumpeter. But, you know, since the trumpet is a single line instrument, the piano helps you see, helps you see all the notes.
2: Oh, what a tribute to her that you still have that set up. And what a profound impact she had on you. You mentioned Stevenson and and Lakeside, and Clark, are there other ways in which Atlanta's music community inform your approach to your work as a musician?
1: Oh, yes. Atlanta has so much art and music that goes unseen, actually, to a lot of people. Uh, Like one, One place that really kind of shaped me was going to Apache Cafe off of uh spring street and i would see um off west p street street and i would see different types of art and music you know performances there from people you you just all walks of life also i played in various bands uh they they call them they call them corporate bands where you you travel around the country and you play at weddings or you'll play at uh company, holiday parties, and basically wherever they will book you. Hmm. I played with a band called Life of the Party.
2: (laughs) That's very aptly titled.
1: (laughs) Yeah, under the leadership of uh, Jerry Freeman, who really, really shaped me as well. And also one of my teachers, my band teacher, his name is uh, Nelson Render, who is part of the PR Experience, which is another band. He taught me how to read music back when I went to uh, middle school. And then maybe, what, 10, what, 15 years later, I end up in the same band with him, gigging, you know, and I saw him, he still saw I had it. And what ended up happening is I learned a lot from them and uh, a couple of other musical mentors. After our gigs, we would go to places like Churchill grounds oh, and yes. you'll see jazz jam sessions or at Northside Tavern, which was uh, in the New York Times campaign. We we went there. These are places that we would go as musicians after our gigs and and play blues and 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 things like that. So that's what shaped me going to the different venues uh, around Atlanta. Yeah,
2: did you ever go to Blind Willie's or Fat Max? Yes,
1: Fat Max. Oh my goodness, with the blues, (laughs) those guys sitting on stage and and they're playing. I mean, real blues, and and the line is wrapped outside of the building for the barbecue. I came for the blues, not the barbecue.
2: (laughs) Both are great there.
1: Right, both are great.
2: I read that you are on the path to become a Canadian citizen. Um, When did you decide to live there?
1: That was actually a pretty tough decision, actually. It really starts with me meeting my wife Chanda, who is Chanda of Canada, and the passengers. We dated uh, long term. She was in Canada, and I I was in in Atlanta. And when I first saw her, she came to Atlanta. I I met her. First question I asked her is, "Do you like music?" And caught her off guard. She's like, "Well, why?" "Yes, I do," you know. And turns out she has her own funk band and everything, right? And economically um for us to both get uh into our dreams and live our dreams and, and with music together it just added up to to me coming to montreal uh, it was more flexible for me because I, I worked online with my job and things like that
2: mm. how does life in canada differ for you
1: wow it, it has opened my eyes and with diversity and having different diverse points of view and also able to look at United States from an outsider perspective from an inside outside perspective and when I read different news outlets and it made me look and uh, appreciate the different types of uh, journalism that I came across like here you have French journalism and um Different local journalism that I never would have came across. And it made me realize that there's certain things that, you know, you can deal with on a on a day-to-day basis that seem normal to you in, in society. You realize, hey, hold up. No, no, this is common. You know, things like how the healthcare system here works uh, and things like that.
2: Tell us about Chanda and the passengers.
1: Yes, so Chanda and the Passenger is like the United Nations of funk. That's what we like to
2: call ourselves. I love it. We have
1: a keyboardist by the name of Carlos Casique. He is from Venezuela. We have a drummer. His name is Adrian uh, Murera and he's from uh, Mexico. Chanda, she's from Canada. I'm from America. Uh, We have a saxophone player. His name is Pierre Edmond. He's from Canada, from Toronto. And he lived in Montreal, he's lived all over the world. And those are the core members of the band. And we play with various other uh, really, really great musicians here in Montreal. It never ceases to amaze me the amount of talent that's here. Like summertime. so many similarities between montreal and atlanta when it comes to that you know me and chanda would have a, a nice uh, inside saying of how both cities have tl in there you have from mtl to atl
2: <laughs> oh that's great how did the new york times discover your story and reach out to you
1: i was part of a project a research project that was looking into actual New York Times subscribers and how they use New York Times. And from there, it ended up, you know, I got an extended invitation to be a part of a a campaign. And there's a feature post that shows the different people that were part of it. And there's a video, the video part. That was the first time I've ever done an experience like that to see the behind the scenes of how a, ad campaign or ad or video like that is is made I have so much more respect for the people that create any type of media and the the crew everybody that worked with me they were all wonderful and really wanted to make sure that I'm just being who I am just being authentic and if I'm comfortable with it I really felt like I was in good hands the whole time fast forward to today it it was larger than I could have ever imagined you know I'm sitting here talking (laughs) with you (laughs) (laughs)
2: Oh. Well, the campaign identifies you as a subscriber since 2020, and you express yourself in it through a series of articles that have moved or inspired you. Would you share a bit about that feature and the kind of articles you mentioned?
1: So one particular article that really was of interest with me was uh, Where Books Meet Black Mecca, where it highlighted a a bookstore that I've never been to off of a very historical street, Auburn Avenue in Atlanta. For Keeps Bookstore, they allow people to check out different books from a lot of African-American authors and had that focus on from a Black historical perspective. And it really lends to the idea that I, the thought that I had of appreciating more of something um, such as where I'm from, appreciating Atlanta a lot more now that I've moved away. And the first chance I get when I get back, I I would love to go check that
2: store out. Hmm. Other articles you want to highlight? Curious how you chose them too. Well,
1: there's a article called uh, Sacks on the Porch where it talks about um, during the pandemic how a saxophone saxophonist in his neighborhood connected with with his neighborhood through music, just having these outdoor free concerts slash jam sessions, you know, and it really to me touched me because it really is illustrates the power of music, the healing power of music,
2: and the connection people miss yes. during the pandemic. The connection,
1: you're absolutely right.
2: Jordan, thinking about your being a subscriber since 2020, these have been some eventful two years, devastating years too. Are there any particular aspects of the Times, news, and journalism that has been particularly meaningful for you since you've been a subscriber?
1: Uh, with the New York Times and, and even other platforms, um, uh, other news sources, I find that during the, these times, and I agree with you, it's just, it's definitely been just trying times in general, but I do see that different articles where authors and, and writers and journalists have gone out of their way to try to report something good that's going on and highlight some good news. And it, I see the fight for good news uh, a lot of times. And sometimes, you know, I just take a break from the news and, and in general, uh, that's, that's what's gotten me through as well to just disconnect from everything and, and look inward to, to myself and, and, and to find that inner peace. That's something that I, I, I seek
2: and that's really ultimately what has carried me through these last few years and today international jazz musician and trumpeter Jordan Rich. His story is featured in the New York Times as part of their new campaign supporting independent journalism. You can find out more on our website at wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Monday at 11 a.m., the late Winfred Rembert's book, Chasing Me to My Grave, an artist's memoir of the Jim Crow South. We'll listen back to my conversation with Rembert's widow, Patsy Rembert, and his co-author, Aaron I. Kelly. If you missed part of today's show, you can catch up on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. There you will find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. Our theme music is the first time written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band, courtesy of Hot Shoe Records. City Lights senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer. And our engineer is Shelley Knavey. I'm your host, Lois Reitzis. We'd love for you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter... At L O I S R E I T Z E S. Thanks for listening to W A B E Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in depth, long form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real?
0: Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.